All right, we're going to continue on now, looking at the Scripture. We're continuing on in our series where we're walking through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we are finishing up chapter 4, and we'll get into chapter 5 next week. So I'm going to begin by reading 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. If you want to follow along in a, in a physical Bible, 1 Corinthians is about, oh, three-fourths of the way through the Bible, uh, about halfway, a little more than halfway through the New Testament. And um, again, pull out your app if you want to follow me on that as well. The verses uh, are on the screens if you would like to do it that way. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 14. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not... Not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful um, that when we read situations like Paul is dealing with in the church at 1 Corinthians, we, we can know that that has application for us. We know, we, can, we know this is your word, and it's sufficient, and it's authoritative, and it's inspired by you. So when we're reading these words, we can know that this is for us. And we begin to ask the questions, how would you want to change our minds and change our hearts and change the way we live when we leave this place as a result of looking at this particular passage this morning? So help us, help us understand it, help us believe it. Help us submit our lives to um, doing our best to live this scripture out. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I want to begin by um, um, just helping you imagine a scenario. Okay, imagine this scenario. You're doing something that brings you great pleasure. Something, and I want your mind to kind of go there, right? Some, just imagine you're doing something of great pleasure, something that brings you a lot of joy, and you're just caught up in that thing you're doing, or maybe that person that you're with. Just think about it, and, 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 and even imagine the, the emotions you're feeling as you are with this person or doing this thing. Now, I want you to imagine someone even physically bigger than you, stronger than you, comes and pulls you out of that situation, makes you stop doing that thing that's bringing you so much pleasure, makes you, makes you stop immediately what you're doing and, and, and makes you stop doing that or keeps you from being with that person you're with in that moment. And I want you to imagine the emotions you're feeling now. Like you've been forced to, to stop that. Are you frustrated are you angry? Are you confused? Are you bitter that this person would come into your life and rob you of the pleasure that you feel like you were feeling and experiencing in that moment? 
Now, imagine that picture, and I want you to switch it over to and put yourself in this situation. Picture here. That's our son, Jax. Out in the middle of the street, obviously, he was playing, probably playing ball in the driveway, runs out to get a ball where this, this car is blocking the, his view for that other one. And when you see that picture, what does that do to you? What emotions does that elicit? If I'm, I'm his dad and mom's standing there, like I, I'm halfway out there to rip him from the street. Like I'm going to pick him up and I'm going to physically remove him from that situation. And at four years old, he may get it a little bit, but if he was a, a year younger or so, he would be confused. He would be mad. He would be frustrated that I, that I picked him up with such force and removed him from that situation. Why? Because he doesn't understand. He doesn't have the full picture. He, he's not omnipresent. He's not, he doesn't understand the whole picture of what's going on here. I do as his dad or his mom does as well. And we would pull him from that situation because we are good and we love him and care about him. Thanks, Dan. You can pull that down now. Um, by the way, we staged that whole thing, right? Like that wasn't real. Like I wasn't just chilling and like letting him get that close to getting run over, right? The white car was still... Um, but I wanted to try to elicit this response um, from you as you saw that picture. And what Paul is talking about today is authority. He's talking about authority. Um, and God puts authority in our lives for our freedom and joy and flourishing. That's what he does. He puts authority in our lives for our freedom and joy and flourishing. But our species... Our human nature has a long history of not liking authority, not wanting to submit to authority, questioning authority, wondering if authority is truly there for our good and for our flourishing. You think back to Genesis 3, that whole conversation with Adam and Eve and the serpent and thinking about God and what he had told them, this is what you can do and can't do, it was all about authority. In that moment, they were questioning the goodness of God's authority, and they decided to take the authority upon themselves and make them their own authority. Now, deep down, we all um, want authority. If you look at Genesis 1 and 2, you'll see that we were made for authority, right? We were made to have authority over us. God is over us. You see that in Genesis 1 and 2. Now, he gives us some responsibility, gives us some things to steward, but yet God is still our authority in Genesis 1 and 2. But we all desire a certain kind of authority, right? We want a certain kind of authority. And authority, true authority, isn't about power and control. That's authoritarianism, right? Authoritarianism is using authority for control to exercise power or manipulation, to get what the person in power and authority actually wants. That's authoritarianism. True biblical authority is about, is about taking what's been given to you, that authority, laying it down and using your power to be able to serve the people who are under your care. It's taking that authority, using it as a tool to serve, care for, and lead the people under you to flourish. It's not to exercise control. It's not to exercise power over a particular um, person or people. 
So Paul is trying to help the Corinthians understand this, understand what bad authority is, what good authority is, because he has some things he's going to tell them in, coming up in this letter that he needs them to understand and have a right view of authority. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says in Surprised by Joy, his book about um, or on the subject of authority here. <clears throat> what mattered most was my deep-seated hatred of authority, my monstrous individualism, my lawlessness. No word in my vocabulary expressed deeper hatred than the word interference. But Christianity placed at the center what then seemed to me a transcendental interferer. If its picture were true, then no sort of treaty with reality could ever be possible. There was no region, even in the innermost depth of one's soul, nay, their least of all, which one could surround with a barbed wire fence and guard with a notice that says no admittance. And that was what I wanted. Some area, however small, of which I could say to all other beings, this is my business and mine only. Talking about the desire and how we approach authority. Listen to Stephen Um. He's a commentator uh, um, that wrote a commentary on 1 Corinthians. I love the way he says this. He says, the problem with the human heart is that it wants to play God. Everyone wants to sit on the throne of his or her own life, calling the shots, judging those who stand before him whether they be a passerby or family members, and ensuring that there are no legitimate threats to the kingdom of self. It's not true that we don't like authority, but we only love authority as long as it's ours. And this is exactly why we're so suspicious of authority on the whole. Human beings use and abuse the authority given to them for their own selfish desires. So why is Paul, again, why is he trying to drive this home with, first, with the Corinthians here, with the church at Corinth? It, this is a transi transition passage in this book. We've seen, uh, really, he had an introduction at the beginning of the book, and really the middle of the first chapter to the middle of the fourth chapter, Paul has been addressing, really, uh, one particular issue, and that's really the infighting that is going on and the lack of trust with leadership amongst the church in Corinth. This had to do with getting their wisdom for the world, valuing what the world values, bringing in the things that that culture was about and bring, importing them into the church, and it was causing major, major issues. Now, this is a bit of a transition because Paul's he's saying, he's, we're gonna see, he's gonna say, I'm not saying these things to like make you ashamed, right? But he's also about to say some other really hard things here in the coming chapters, some really, really difficult stuff, and he wants to make sure the Corinthians are hearing him right and know that he is a, a good authority in their life. He's not trying to be authoritarian. He wants to be, show that he's a good, godly authority that's actually speaking on behalf of God. God is, remember last week we, we saw that God has stewarded, has given Paul the mystery of the gospel to be able to steward. And that's what he's trying to get them to see um, his role in this whole situation. Okay, let's look at uh, first verse here, or actually first two verses, verses 14 and 15. He says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So the first thing Paul says here in verse 14 is, he's, I'm not trying to shame you. I'm not trying to heap shame upon you and make you just feel really, really bad about yourself. And he knows what he said so far and what he's about to say. He wouldn't say that if he didn't know that his words could possibly have that effect on this church. 
And we get this, that shaming someone only leads to either uh, performing. So if you shame someone, they're, they're going to feel horrible, and they're just going to try harder. Try really, really hard, or try harder to get you to not shame them anymore. That's going to be the response, or that person's going to pretend, or fake it, or lie, so you won't get after them anymore and shame them anymore. I think we get, understand this as parents, right? When we're talking to our kids and trying to change behavior, right? Because that's what usually uh, provokes us in the moment is their behavior. And oftentimes, we're really quick and we're not intentionally trying to shame them, but how we talk, the tone, what we say can shame our kids. And it's going to lead them either into performing for us to get our approval, which is not what we ultimately want as Christian parents, right? Or it's going to cause them to hide. It's going to cause them to pretend. So when they do that thing that they got, you got onto them for, they're just going to go do it in secret. They're just going to go hide it from you because they know if you find out, you're going to shame them and try, in order to try to get to change their behavior. And those are both ways that we shouldn't try to change our kids' behavior. But it's human nature, right? It's so easy. I know for me, with our four-year-old in the moment, Jax, like, the easiest thing for do is just to be quick and to say, hey, stop doing that. Or why would you do that? Or did you think about the consequences of what you were doing? I mean, that, if I'm leading with those things, that's just going to bring shame and bring it quickly instead of inviting him into the relationship that we have and actually talking through it and watching my tone and not trying to shame him. What Paul wants here, he wants people to be free. He wants people to be free to obey the scriptures. He wants people to be free to be able to flourish under God's love and care. He's like a loving father who wants to restore them into relationship. He wants to admonish them, not make them feel shameful, but admonish them as a loving father would. In the scriptures, we see this about God the Father. It says God's um, kindness leads us to repentance, right? It's not his wrath that leads us to repentance, necessarily. It says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance, the kindness found in the gospel. Verse 15, for though you have countless in, in, in older translations, like the King James would say 10,000 here for countless, okay? For though you have countless or 10,000 guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, here he's comparing um, guides and fathers, right? He's saying you have a bunch of guides. So we use this language all the time. We say a ton or a lot or hundreds or thousands to, to drive a point across. Point is, they had a lot of guides, and that word for guides there is, is, is the, from the word pedagogy or pedagogue. Um, a, and this was someone who was a, a really an instructor. And they were oftentimes members of the household, sometimes a servant, sometimes a slave, uh, a, a tutor, a nanny, think of that. And they, were, they spent a lot of time with the kids. They spent a lot of time with the children. They made sure they got to school okay on time. They made sure they did their homework. Um, they, were, they were given, um, they could discipline the kids. They were kind of a taskmaster, making sure that they would correct them and guide them um, while the, the, the mom and dad were off um, doing other things. And so it really can be, this idea of guides can be an instructor or a tutor. And he's saying, you have a lot of these people in your life. Like, you're good. Like, you have plenty of these people, but you don't have many fathers. So we need to ask the question, what does he mean here by, by father? And he's talking about spiritual father or spiritual mother here. And he's, he, he uses father in the, the masculine form of that gender. Why? Because he's a man and God, the father, that's masculine too. But as we apply this in our lives, it could be fathers or mothers or parents in this kind of way he's wanting us to see it. And, and, and we know that um, 
Our, our fathers and mothers, those who we grew up under, um, are our first form of how we view authority, right? Like from, from a very, very early age. I mean, one, two years old as kids, they understand authority through how uh, mom and dad parent. That's because that's all they have. Until they go to maybe uh, their first school and kind of understand, okay, this is another authority figure, this teacher, they pick up a little bit more there. But kids primarily view the, the authority in their life through their mothers and fathers. These are the first pictures of authority we have. And I realize some of you probably didn't have good pictures of authority growing up. Maybe you didn't have a father or didn't have a mother growing up. And so I think that's, that, that's good to understand and be aware of, that that's part of your story and how you may see authority, and how you may view the love of the father. Because even saying father um, or mother in the context of authority, that may give you, that may bring back a lot of pain and baggage and issues. So just want to throw that out uh, to make sure um, you're aware of that, of what's kind of bubbling up maybe um, inside of you. So what is a spiritual father or mother? It's really someone who wants you to thrive and flourish in your relationship with God. In your walk with Jesus, it's not complicated. We shouldn't overthink this, right? It's, it's they, that someone who uses the authority in your life to serve you, to, to be there for you, to make sure that you are flourishing in your relationship with Jesus. They would, they would quickly lay down that authority to serve you, to model for you what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. This is what a spiritual father or mother look like. Now, I think the danger here, and I think for churches, I think churches, um, especially in our country, um, tend to, to kind of drift to um, what I would call a, uh, and, and, and everything Paul's using here is a family metaphor, right? He's using all these family metaphors, father, mother, even that pedagogy, that guide idea is usually part of the family, right? Um, but we, so this is a household metaphor, right? But oftentimes the churches, I think we get into this mindset of, of we kind of accidentally create an orphanage. And what I mean by that is, is we tend to, you know, put a, maybe try to get a lot of people in a room on a Sunday morning, and you have a couple of mothers or fathers, directors of the orphanage, that are kind of moving children around, moving uh, maybe sp- uh, spiritual children around, and just trying to keep the, the, the big thing going. And, and we're, we're not producing uh, followers of Jesus who grow up in their faith. I remember a documentary I saw one time. This was in college, and I remember it really, really well. And it was one of the first times that I think the, the kind of the, pl- the global plight of the orphan really hit home with me. And it was a, uh, a documentary or maybe like a Dateline-type uh, sh- uh, network show about the um, orphan crisis in Romania, and it was looking at these orphanages in Romania that kind of came, it started under the communist regime. And once communism kind of broke, broke open in the late 80s, um, in the 90s, they started, people started figuring out like how these orphanages were run. And it was, it was heartbreaking because it w- they would take like, I mean, 25, 50 babies and put them basically in one room and, and, and assign one like mom. And this mom was trying to do the best she could, but you're talking about, imagine having you know, those of you who've been around twins or triplets, like it's a, it's a mess, right? Trying to take care of just two or three for one or two people. But imagine 25 or 50, and you imagine the detriment it had to these babies early on in their child, the lack of attachment, the lack of connection. Like they only got held for like minutes every day. 
They learned how to like feed themselves early on with a bottle because they just, they, no one was ever holding him to feed him. And, and they were able to follow them over the next several um, years and decades, just the damage that it brought to the orphans because they didn't have spiritual, they, didn't, they had less than that. But for this metaphor, they didn't have people walking side by side with them as they grew up and their growth was stunted. The church is meant to be a family where spiritual mothers and fathers pour into younger believers, and over time, those younger believers uh, grow up, come up under the fathers and mothers, and eventually become spiritual fathers and mothers themselves. And that happens over and over and over. But we're quick to treat it like an orphanage where you have a couple of people that are doing everything, and everyone else is kind of just in under them, but there's no calling. There's, no, there's nothing that's, that's helping people grow up in their faith like Paul's metaphor is here in the, the, um, in the house. And so as a church, we try, to, um, we try to structure church the way we do with our missional communities and some other environments to help people grow up in, the, in their faith. Instead of being an orphanage where it's a holding tank for younger, mature Christians, it's actually a family where people are constantly growing up in their faith, taking more responsibility, and becoming spiritual fathers and mothers. Let's keep going. Verse 16. Paul uh, is going to say, here's how this looks in, in kind of what I've done, right? I urge you then, be imitators of me. Watch me, follow me, do what I do. Verse 17, that is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved faithful child in the Lord. So he's a spiritual father to Timothy. To remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in the church. So Paul's modeling this, right? He, he did this to Timothy. He was Timothy's spiritual father, and now he's sending Timothy to them so he can be a spiritual father to people in uh, ch- the church in Corinth because Paul wasn't there, right? Paul's just writing this letter from afar. He's not there anymore to be that person for them in Corinth. And he has this idea of, of this, this, this idea of imitation. Later on, he's going to say, follow me as I follow Christ, and this applies to um, really to the spiritual fathers and mothers in the church. And as a side note, um, if, if leaders in the church aren't following Christ, you don't have to follow him, right? Like we, you don't have to follow leaders. Like leaders in the church aren't your ultimate authority. Jesus is your ultimate authority. The scripture is an ultimate authority. And we've been stewarded, like Paul, with the authority from God to be able to be spiritual fathers and mothers to you. But that doesn't mean you follow leaders blindly if they're not following Jesus. But the call is, is to follow your spiritual fathers and mothers as they follow Christ. That is the, 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 the command there from Paul. Now, um, giving them a letter wasn't enough. Paul could have wrote this letter and said, hey, take this letter, read it, do what I've asked you to do. But this is about relationships. So he's going further. He's saying, like, do what I do. Do what Timothy does. Find spiritual fathers and mothers and do what they do. Imitate them. Grow up under them. It's, it's, it's more than about reading this letter. It's actually about relationship. If Paul was here, he might tell us, don't just read this letter and study this letter called 1 Corinthians or know facts about this or memorize scripture. Actually do what it says in relationship. Be fathers, spiritual fathers and mothers. Find a spiritual father and mother and do what the scriptures are calling us to do. It's more than just reading and knowing this particular letter in the scripture. And so, kind of to, to, to transition here, we have to understand that everyone is submitting to some kind of authority. Everyone is. It may be your own authority, maybe someone else's authority, maybe a, a leader in our culture's authority, but we are submitting to some system of authority. 
And the only way we can be freed from that authority is to look to the one who had ultimate authority and wielded it perfectly. And that's the person of Jesus. So I want to look at one quick example of Jesus um, in um, in the Gospels to show us what I think this ultimate authority looks like. So we begin, to, we begin to think, well, what does it look like to be a spiritual father or mother? What does it look like to, what does that person look like so I can find or search that per, kind of person out? Well, here's what it looks like. John 13, three through five. And this is Jesus shortly before he would go to uh, the cross. And he's um, just him and his disciples in the upper room, um, kind of this intimate moment with them. And um, he says this, verse three. And we, can, we know this probably pretty well. We can skip over this verse, but this is amazing. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. So all things. So the Father, God the Father, the creator of the universe, gives all things to Jesus. It's in the palm of his hand. Um, and he says, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Right, so God sends him, and then he's about to go back to God, and God has given him all things in his hands. And when, when Jesus starts off like that, you're thinking, okay, he's about to do a miracle, right? He's about to show off his power. He's about to be this, this ultimate authority and, and, and show these disciples how much authority he has. But we know that's not how the story goes. Verse 4, he rose from the supper. So they're all saying he stands up. You can imagine the disciples, like someone just stands up at the table, like, you're in a dinner table, you're like, okay, what's, what are they about to say, right? Well, so they're looking at Jesus, and he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. They're like, okay, what are you doing? Like, what, Jesus, what, what's going on here? And then he says, then he, the scripture said, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. So he, he basically says, I am God. I have all the authority. I have all the power. I came from him. I'm going back to him. And then the very next thing he does, he does arguably the most um, servant-like thing, the most kind of degrading thing you could do in all of the scriptures, and that's wash uh, someone else's feet. We've heard studies and things about like how gross that would have been, and they didn't wear socks, they didn't wear shoes. I mean, this would have been a gross job. But Jesus says, this is who I am. Let me show you how to actually lead. This is who I am. This is the power. Let me show you how to lay down my authority and power to serve you and to show you what it's going to be like. This is just mind-boggling when you think of this. And I think this is a beautiful, perfect picture when we ask, how do we, how do we be that authority? How do we be strong? How do we be, uh, um, kind of, um, be able to say things to people? Like Paul is the Corinthians, hard things, but do it in such a way that it's gentle. It, it elicits the response we want. Let's look at verse 18. We'll kind of close it out here. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. Evidently, some thought that ah, Paul didn't really care about us, right? He's not coming, whatever. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. So it's like, yeah, we can talk, and your culture's about talking and philosophers and debating and this human wisdom, but I want to see their power. Like, what's coming behind the words? Is it more than just words? Is it more than just talking heads and the, the, these intellect, intellectuals? Verse 20, for the kingdom of God... My kingdom, really, is what he's saying, or what Jesus is saying, uh, Paul is saying about Jesus, does not consist in talk, but in power. 
Now, does it include talk? Yes. Does it include teaching? Yes. Does it include wisdom? Yes. That's not what Paul's saying. But Paul is making the point, it is so much more than talk. It is so much more than the teaching. It is so much more than even the scripture. And then uh, in verse 21, he says, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? So he's saying, I'm not trying to come with you with this tool of correction. I'm coming to you with love. This is, this is from a heart of love. This is from a, a heart of the Father that cares for you and loves you and what's, wants what's best for you. So I think that, that end of that right there, we could do a whole sermon on really verse 20 there, but it really is what he's saying is that talking, studying, knowing, memorizing, it's all good and it's all necessary, but that's not necessarily going to bring power. It's incomplete. And he could be talking about the Holy Spirit there. He could be talking about the kingdom of God and other things there. But what he's saying here is what they were doing, what they were valuing was not enough. And he was going to show them when um, he came to them. So what are the implications? I want to go through three really quick implications. We've talked around it, but I want to make sure we have some handles coming out of this. Number one, um, there's an authority here that Paul is speaking about. And our authority is from the scriptures, right? So Paul, writing this letter, became a book in our Bible. So Paul would say that the same way that as he's writing this letter and they're reading it in the church, the Corinthians are, he would say in the same way when you're reading the Bible, it has that same authority over you. It has the same ability to change you and you should submit to it and you should, you should treasure it and you should understand it and study it right? because it has authority over you. And he's about to say, again, some things that are really hard to them and he wants to make sure that they know that he's just not some, some random guy that's on a power trip, that this authority has been given to him by Jesus. He has some words from God that he wants to communicate to them, and he's, he's doing it for their good because he's, he's seeing himself as a father to the church. So our authority is in the scripture, right? So as we hear Paul talking to this church, we should hear it from the Bible speaking to us. The, author, the Bible has authority in our life, and we have to let it have authority in our life. Number two, um, spiritual fathers and mothers. We need, to, we need to have one, and we need to be one. Right? So if you're in here and you're like, I've never really thought about being a spiritual father and mother. Obviously, you're that to your kids, the people who live in your home, but I think the scriptures want us to go beyond that. Right? Who, who are you being a spiritual father and mother to? Are you searching out other people to be spiritual father and mothers to you? I think this familial thing, we talk about church being a family and church being a household, those metaphors, like if you're a, if you're a parent who loves Jesus, you, you understand you are the spiritual authority, I think most of us do, to your kids. So this is what the scriptures are trying to do. They're trying to understand that the church is, is, should be seen as a family, as a household. So the same weight and drive you have that you invest in your kids, some of that should be given to other people in the church as well. So spiritual fathers and mothers, have one and be one. and Go after those things. That's the way the, 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 the God has designed us to have freedom and joy and growing up in our faith. So authority of the scriptures, spiritual fathers and mothers. Lastly, um, just this tension as we, um, as we live our life, this tension that, that Paul seems to found between um, ha- having this godly authority to be able to speak and be bold as we talk to people, but yet still be loving. Right? So how do we carry this weight of authority? Because on one end, you could just say, you could, it's a lot easier to just drop the authority and never have to say hard things to people and never have to lead and just be a really loving and gentle person. Right? There, there, there's, some, there's some ease to that, right? Um, not, not easy, but there's some ease. it's easier to do that right, than do both. 
And it's also sometimes easier just to not worry about the loving piece. You're just gonna, you're just gonna lead strong. I'm not gonna be gentle. I'm just gonna make my kids behave. I'm gonna do what I wanna do. I'm gonna lead this way at work. And that's not the way either. So how do we keep these things in tension? And I think it's looking at Jesus, John 13, right? Jesus was, was he was this, uh, this, this majestic king, but he was, he was meek. He was holy and perfect, but he was humble. He didn't walk around like he was perfect. He was courageous in how he spoke to people, but he was also compassionate at the very same time. And he is our model in how we lead and how we um, uh, 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 do the spiritual father and mother thing as we live our life. You look at the Pharisees. He was hard on them. He came at them. Right? He, was, he, he held an importance on the law. Like He cared about rules. He said, I, have, I haven't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. The law is important. Um, I came and, and, I, and I fulfilled it perfectly. He says, deny yourself and follow me. That's hard. Hey, drop your nets, follow me. Drop what you're doing and follow me. It's worth it. He had authority. He gave commands. He was not afraid of that, but he was at the same time overflowing with grace and mercy. Talk about, you know, we, we, last week we talked about the woman at the well. We talked about him, him and the, the prostitute who was about to be stoned. But the, 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 the tax collectors, the sinners, the prostitutes, everybody that he would spend time around that he was so grace-filled and mercy-filled uh, towards. And this is the kind of authority we desire and the kind of authority we should strive for in our own lives. And I want to close with this. Verse 21, I want to go back there. He says, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Next week, we're going to start hearing some, some uncomfortable things. Like if the scripture is our authority and has authority over us, and we let it have authority over us, the coming weeks are going to be uncomfortable, right? He's going to say some things. God is going to say some things to us that we're going to have to do some reflection. Maybe some of us are going to be, feel like we're guilty of as well. And so Paul wants to create the context and frame what he's about to say to say, this is, this comes, this is a, a father admonishing his children I want what's best for you. I want you to flourish in your relationship with Jesus. So we need to remember that and kind of sit on that and reflect on that as we move into next week in chapter five. Let's pray. Father, we, we love you. And um, I, I'm, I'm so thankful that we get um, this passage in, um, in Corinthians here and that um, this, is, this, is, uh, this is us, right? We're... We, are, um, we struggle with authority as well. I struggle with authority. I don't like, it's not in my nature to love being told what to do. I don't naturally love that. But I know I can receive that much better, and I, and I get closer to wanting to follow when it's done with gentleness and humility and love. And I know that person wants what's best for me, ultimately. And that's the God we serve. Jesus modeled that perfectly for us. So as we move into a time of communion, I pray that we would reflect on, on your character and how Jesus modeled your character perfectly when he came to earth and when he said, all things have been given to me. Part of that was your character, the, your, your, the, 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 the nature of the father that you have for us. Jesus showed that and modeled that to us. So I pray we, pray we would think about that and know and believe we have a loving father who cares for us, who corrects us, who's not afraid to discipline us, but it's for our good, and we see that completely and perfectly in Jesus. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.